Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. that reminder every week of what we're doing this series of where God is taking our church and of embracing exile and what that means for us, that your destination has shifted, your starting place has shifted, that as Jesus was sent, we are also being sent. The church is sent. We aren't, uh, we aren't creating a mission. We are the mission. God has, his mission was to raise up a people to be led to the world, and we have taken part in that. And here we are in, in the book of 1 Peter, and, and, and from last week, he's been talking to us about how we, how we get, uh, how we represent Jesus in this world, how we live sent, how we live out, how the sacred and the secular um, come together, and how we live in a society where we don't really belong where we're foreigners or we're exiles, or we're passing through, where, where um, it's, it's our temporary home, where our citizenship is in heaven, not here on earth. And this week uh, is, is kind of part one of part two from that frame we established last week. And, and so if you think, <laughs> what's funny is uh, these two, these next two sermons, this one and the next one, are, are pretty, can be pretty controversial. When you read these passages in the scriptures, you heard it read this morning, uh, but if you think this week is, wait till we get to next week. So uh, hope, my hope is that um, I help you see what the scriptures are getting at and I help you understand this more deeply so that you can be a kingdom disciple who engages society and be a part of bringing the church to fruition because that's the mission of God. And so as we, as we go into these particular things, uh, what Peter is doing, yeah, what Peter is doing here, I thought I said Paul for a second. What Peter is doing here is he is, he's uh, laying out, he's establishing a household code. And Peter, sorry, I should have said Paul there. And Paul does this in Ephesians and he does it in Colossians. And these household codes are, are in the scriptures because here's the thing, they're, they're not unique to the scriptures. These household codes are everywhere in Greco-Roman literature. It was a thing that they did. So as a new people of God is being established, uh, or as the people of God is being established, and as the new covenant is being lived out, it just seems pretty, um, pretty self-explanatory, pretty natural. Pretty, it just seems like the next thing to do is to establish a household code. It was in line with the culture of that time. The difference, though is the content. That's the difference here. And so the, the content that Paul gives, the content that Peter gives in these household codes is different. That's where, that's where we live and we engage society. That's where we change society. That's where, that's where um, the kingdom of God starts, starts to come in here. And, 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 and even, guys, even the pattern, how they do it here, children, parents, servants, masters, uh, husbands, wives, like that is an established pattern in the culture. So again, what's different here is, is the content. And so Peter starts, 
here with the most basic unit of society in that culture. That's the household. That's the home. And back then, guys, uh, a lot of times for us, the home is private, it's private sphere. The home back then wasn't private, it was pretty public. So what he's talking about here, well, picking off of last week is them doing good. This is a way they do good because they're living before others in the society in this way. So in this passage, if a, if a, uh, we're going to start with servants because that's the kind of lowest common denominator in the household at that time. Uh, and so we're going to start with servants here because if they live in a certain way, uh, according to what Peter's saying, well, it's going to start to change society. It's going to start to change some things uh, about, about their culture. And, and uh, here in verse 18, Peter starts off and he says, servants. And just a, just a word on that, on, on that word. Uh, this isn't your normal word for normal. Um, the regular New Testament word for servants. It's not doulos if you are familiar with that word. That's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is specific to household servant. It's, it's not your, your regular word used for servant or slave. Um, and, and again, that just emphasizes that Peter here is talking about the household. He's, he's talking to, to servants here. But that doesn't mean we can't apply this, these principles to all Christians. Okay? Um, that, and, and the reason I say it is because just above in verse 16, he says, Live as people who are free, but it's not a free-for-all. Don't use your freedom as a cover for evil, but live as servants of God. So, we are, uh, we're, we're servants here. We all are, okay? If you've decided to follow Jesus, you have submitted yourself as a servant of God. So when he says servants here, uh, this isn't just to specific household servants, although that's the word used here. Uh, this, this can apply to us as servants of the living God as well. So he says, be subject to your masters with all respect. Okay, let, actually, let's stop there. So be subject to your masters. That word is, is to be subject to or to submit to, right? And it's, it's a word that when we come across in the scriptures, uh, especially in our culture uh, here in Toronto, in our day and age, we cringe. We're like, oh, I don't want to talk about those things uh, in the church, let alone outside the church. Uh, but, uh, oh, do we have to talk about that? Can we just like skip over that part of the Bible and go to the, the, to the other parts. Uh, believe me, guys, I wish, I wish we could. Um, I would have done it. I uh, would have just gone straight to chapter 4 <laughs> if, if that was the case. But, but I, want us, I want us to understand this better. I want us to, to wrestle with this. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah says, come. God says, come, let's reason together. Like We get to reason with God on this. We get to wrestle with this here. Uh, but but l- let me just, just frame this for you, give some context, not in the scriptures, just in your life. So three things. One is that you have been subject or submitted to the realm of darkness. You were just born into it. You didn't have a choice. We were all born into subjection to the realm of darkness, to the prince of power of this air which is Satan. We all were. We were forced into it in a way. It's our sinful nature. You didn't choose it. Okay? So you were already in submission. 
you're already in subjection. Okay, that, that's the first thing. The second thing is, like we said in verse 16, now you have a choice. The choice is the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light, the kingdom of oppression or the kingdom of liberty. Right? That's, that's the choice we have here. We can choose this other kingdom. But we're still subjecting ourselves. We're submitting ourselves. Remember in verse 16, it's an exchange of masters. And we exchange an oppressive master for one of free, for a master who gives us freedom. We exchange uh, an, an ugly, dark, dark master for, for one of light and beauty. Because when, when you subject yourself to Jesus, when you submit yourself to Jesus, when you choose to follow Jesus, that's what you're doing. You're saying, Jesus, here's my life. You take it. When, when we do that, uh, we are putting ourselves under him. And so you are subjecting yourself uh, into Christ Jesus. Now, there's a different type of freedom there. There's a freedom there. Yes, it doesn't mean, uh, I, uh, yeah, we don't have time to go into all of that, but, but um, uh, we're choosing a beneficent master, right? That changes everything. That changes everything, okay? And then the, the third thing I want to point out is even now, Okay, we, we live here in Canada, America in the West, um, so we don't deal with this as much. Although, guys, uh, modern day slavery is, uh, they say, is more pervasive now than at any point in history when you, when you talk about, um, when, when you include all forms of slavery in there. So, but even now in this world, in your life, you are submitting and subjecting yourself to certain things. You're, you're doing that. So when we get to these words in the scriptures, submit and subject, we shouldn't be so shocked by them. They, they shouldn't be cringeworthy because you actually do that in your life. You submit yourself to your boss, to your organization, to that paycheck, eight to 10 hours a day, five, six days a week. You choose to do that, right? You submit yourself to and subject yourself to how much money is in your bank account. You choose to do that. Some of you guys, you submit yourself, subject yourself to your own kids. They run the house. You, you submit yourself, you subject yourself to that, that game app on your phone. I don't know, people still play Candy Crush. Uh, that or whatever it is and and that takes all your attention you subject yourself to it you submit yourself to it you subject yourself you submit yourself to your social media feed and how many likes you get and how many people see your thing and comment on your thing you choose to submit to subject yourself to that so when Peter uses this word it shouldn't be so shocking to us because he's saying no you actually have a choice to subject yourself and submit yourself in a different way, in a new way, whereas you didn't have that choice before. And, and, and we'll, we'll get to that, that part in a second. You didn't have that choice before. Let's just, let's just stop there. And so he says, be subject, sorry, yeah, subject to your masters with all respect. The word here for respect is actually the word fear. So it could be translated that way, um, but that might be a little too harsh for us sometimes. Uh, but I point that out because it connects us to 
uh, verse 17, just above this, where he says, fear God. And then verse 17 in chapter 1, it connects us to that, where he also says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So, guys, it, this is connecting to fearing God and, and conducting yourself with this fear because your essential motivation to do any of this as a, uh, as a follower of Jesus is your relationship with God. Right? What Peter's asking the servants to do here, why would they do that if they hadn't already subjected themselves to a beneficent, good father? Why would they do that if they didn't know that God was just? Why would they endure injustice if they didn't know God himself was just and he was going to rectify? Why would they, why would they, do? they have no reason to do that. So when Peter says this here with all fear, he's reminding them, hey, you've already done this to the all good, all just, all holy, all loving, all magnificent, all-beneficent, all-powerful God who is not going to give up on you. And you endure this light momentary affliction, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, because God is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. That's what he's calling him into, out of darkness in a marvelous light. That doesn't mean your entire social status changes. That doesn't mean your entire bank account changes. That doesn't mean uh, your entire circumstances change. It means that your perspective shifts. You've been given an eternal one now, where the slight and the light momentary affliction looks towards eternity, where he's preparing an eternal weight of glory. And so that's why they can choose to do this. They we can act this way because the relationship with God is, is the motivation, is, the, is, is what's informing all of this. So he says, uh, and guess what? Not only do you do this to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Guys, even that word that Peter uses, the unjust, redefines culture. Because if you were a master... Okay, so think about reading this as a master or not just as a servant, but if you're a master, there's nothing unjust you could do to your servants. They were just property. They had no rights and no status. And so even Peter saying it is unjust is starting to redefine the culture. He's inserting kingdom culture here because there is no status. So... The, the, the Christian ethic here starts to shape society. Guys, this is an ethic all the way back in the Torah, in the first five books, in the Jewish tradition. Guys, when, when, uh, this is, we, we don't realize how distinct uh, all these Jewish laws were, the Israelite laws, how distinct they were from the nations surrounding them. They were completely different. They're completely distinct. That's why Deuteronomy 4 is there to say, if you live this way, they're gonna take notice. And they're, they're going to want what you have. Because it was so different. But they weren't subvert, they, they weren't um, uh, going against everything. Okay? They're just, they just modeling the kingdom of God here. They're doing it through submission, which leads to sacrifice. And that's the, the shift we're trying to get at this morning. How do we submit in a way that leads to sacrifice? Because that's the model that Peter's going to give us. 
that leads us to Remember the disciples, guys. Remember the disciples who were led by Peter in this. Uh, they wanted a revolution. Peter wanted that. Remember the cutting of the ear thing? They wanted to overturn things, to establish the, the kingdom and the Messiah. But Jesus shows them a different way. The way of the kingdom is, is, not, the fir- is not the first is first, but the last shall be first. There's a different way to change things. It's not by force and forcing your way in. It's by submission. It's by subjection. It's by sacrifice. And so as much as we want the institution of slavery to be eradicated, to go away, or, you know, next week, the institution, we, we might touch on this, the institution of patriarchy, as much as we want that to go away uh, and to eradicate it, We move society as a people of God, not by establishing another despotism. We don't just exchange one despot for another, guys. We don't change the kingdom of God that way. Uh, Sorry, we don't change society that way. We change it by modeling our king of kings, who wasn't uh, one who came in to overrule everything. He didn't even overrule the law, right? He said, I came to fulfill it. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. I came to redeem all things. I came to to reconcile all things. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to rescue you. That's our Savior. And so we do by modeling the kingdom, which is a pretty subversive way to do it. And that's why Peter starts with the lowest common denominator in the basic unit of society. Because he says, if we can start there, we can create a grassroots movement that starts to echo and ripple throughout all of the world, throughout all of time. That's the power of the faith tradition that you belong to if you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, we can look back and see the power in that. But here's, here's, here's one of the big issues um, with, with um, our culture, Again, I, I hate saying our culture in such a broad sense, but, but you know what I mean. Um, but uh, our culture, here's, here's one of the issues with our culture, and, and this is unfortunately seeped into the church, the Western church, and, and that's the one we operate in. So it's seeped into the church is that so many of us want systemic change. Okay, that's not the issue. We want systemic change. That's, that's good. We want to have, and so many of us want to have a say in these bigger things and these systemic things. And guys, you see this all over social media, and, and here's the issue, uh, because you just just go to social media and you and you can see this, because people go on rants and raves, they get on their soapbox about the government, about uh, their jobs, about the church, uh, about leaders, and they rant and rave about all these things. But the question is. Are you doing the little things? Are you faithful in the little things? Because it's, it's one thing to, to rant and rave about the big things and say the government's making all these horrible decisions and all these things, but, but how many of you have actually ever run something that big? How many of you have actually ever led something other than yourself? I mean, the government's a big a, a big organization, right? Um, and this doesn't mean that you don't have a voice. This doesn't mean that you don't have a say. But this changes, that perspective changes how you say it. 
That perspective changes how you you do something. It doesn't mean that just because you haven't done that, you you can't say anything about it. I'm sure you have your perspective. You can say something about it. But if you go on social media, it's all rants and raves. If I talk to people in person, it's all rants and raves. Not like the the cool rave where you're dancing and stuff. Uh, but like it's just it's a lot of vitriol. And so. All of the social media, guys, it's not just there. It's in your living rooms. It's among your families and friends. You love to talk trash. A lot of people love to talk trash about the big things. Um, but here's the thing with the little things. Are you even doing that? We talk about the government debt, but how much in debt are you? We talk about the government spending and, and doing things wrong and making wrong decisions. But how controlled are you by your own appetites? Can you even make a right decision on what to put on your plate and what to eat, right? Can you even not eat the whole bag of chips in one sitting or, you know, whatever? These are little things. Now, we, we complain about, uh, you know, so-and-so doing that, but where are your spiritual disciplines, guys? Are your spiritual disciplines in order? Those are the small things. Those are the small things that, Jesus, if you're faithful in those things, now oh, God's going to give you bigger things to have influence over and so start there. Start with what we know we should do. Um, and so many of us to say, so many of us say, oh, if I was in that position, or if I was making those decisions, or if I was leading that organization, or if I was man, or if I was um, uh, leading the ch- this church, or if I w- if if I was doing this, I would do it this way. Why did they do it that way? I would do it this way. Well, here's the thing, guys. You're not in that position. So instead of hindering you get to come alongside and help. Because, again, it's not that your voice doesn't matter, but the question is, are you doing the small things? So, for instance, don't presume to tell someone how to run an organization when you can't even lead yourself. you got to be faithful in the small things. You know, like, how's your marriage? Is your marriage subpar? Is your relationship with Jesus lackluster? Or is it vibrant? Now, are your spiritual disciplines off? Where are your rhythms? Are you living up in and out? Like those are all the, the small things. And, and a lot of you guys are doing that. Well, well then come alongside and help. How do we help the, the big systemic things? How do we help the, the institution? The, how, do we, how do we come alongside those who are fighting for institutional injustice and, and help them? How do you come alongside your, your pastor and your leaders at the church? How do you come alongside your R3 leader? How do you, how do you come alongside and help rather than hinder? How, how do you do that? Start by being faithful in the small things. And then that changes your perspective and your voice. Because you say, well, yeah, I've never done anything like that. Okay, but that doesn't mean I can't help. Now I get to help. Now you get to lead up. Now you get to, get to pour into, into others. And, and here's some, some tips for that. Because um, a lot of you guys uh, just don't know where to start after that, maybe. So here's a couple tips. One. Seek to understand first. Don't presume that you do understand. Seek to understand first. Ask questions. Why, uh, how, how did you come to this decision? Um, and don't do it with, with uh, condemnation, right? Seek to actually understand, which means that uh, you lead with compassion, not criticism. You lead with compassion. Guys, you have to earn your voice. You have to earn trust with people, especially with leaders. 
When you talk about big government institutions or the church or, or companies at your, at your job uh, with your boss, you have to earn that voice. You do that by leading with compassion. We talked about compassion culture a couple weeks ago. You do that by leading with compassion, not criticism. And you try to empathize on top of that. Because, because odds are you don't have all the information. So you're seeking to understand. And you're trying to provide information that maybe they don't have. So you lead with compassion. And then you care for the person, not just for your agenda. So many times when, when people enter in a conversation like this and you want to change the culture, you want to change something, you come in with your own agenda and you, that's all you care about. Start by caring for the person. Care for the person. Say, hey, like, is everything okay? How are you doing? Odds are, if you ask that and you really want to know, you're going to find that most people aren't doing as well as you thought they were. And especially in leadership, that it's hard. That it's really hard. So start by caring for the person, not just for your own agenda. Here's another thing, give the benefit of the doubt. Give the benefit of the doubt. Trust the Holy Spirit if this person is a follower of Jesus, trust the Holy Spirit in that person. If this person is not a follower of Jesus, allow the Holy Spirit, trust the Holy Spirit in you and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. Give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they just misspoke. Maybe they just shouldn't have put that word in an email and they, they were rushed. Maybe they received your text in the middle of an argument with somebody. Maybe uh, there's something you don't know about where they had a, a, a horrible circumstance. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Trust Holy Spirit in yourself or in the other. Guys, all of these things are little things that make a monumental difference for shifting culture. It's submission. You see that? All those things I just mentioned is you submitting yourself. It's you subjecting yourself to the other. It's not you overlording yourself. It's you subjecting yourself to the other because you're considering them now. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Consider others, Paul says in Philippians 2, and then have this mind among yourselves. Jesus humbled himself in the form of a servant, to the point of obedience uh, to death on a cross. Guys, he humbled himself, he submitted himself, and it led to sacrifice. And so all of these things earn and, and, and give you a voice to be heard. And Paul sa- or sorry, Peter says here in verse 19, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you, are, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing. He's repeated that twice in the sight of God. Uh, it's a grace thing. Guys, Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved. Right? It's, it's a gracious thing. It's, it's a grace thing. Remember, we're talking about submission and sacrifice, but in the background is this, is this secular and sacred coming together because of awareness of God in all spheres of life. And one principle that's often missed here regarding exile is that they're to live, uh, they're to live within the secular sphere not against it. They're to live within it, not against it. 
And then so much of the church has positioned, we've positioned ourselves against it. I remember last week we talked about um, being foreigners in a land and and how you automatically stand out. Uh, So if we're to embrace exile, yeah, we're going to stand out. We're going to be different. That doesn't mean we have to be completely against something uh, and upend an entire establishment, whatever it is, um, uh, so that we we create this chasm between us and the culture that cannot be that cannot be breached. There has to be a redemptive movement, and that starts with with us. That starts with the lowest common denominator: us making ourselves last, us humbling ourselves, us recognizing we are servants of God. Guys, I want injustices in the world to stop as much as Peter does, as much as Jesus did, as much as anybody did. But even when Jesus came. He didn't upend the entire establishment. He didn't kick out all the Romans and upend everything. Did we forget that? Did we forget what our Savior did? He submitted himself to the Romans. They beat him and they mocked him and they they spat on him and they flogged him and they stabbed him and they put nails in his hands and they crucified him like a criminal. Guys, that is our Jesus. That is our model. Are you ready to do that as a follower of Jesus? That's what he's calling us to, to subject ourselves. We don't just upend everything. We live in a way where people say, you know what? The way I have been living, I don't want that anymore. I want what you have. I want the way you've been living. And here's the thing is people, people don't know uh, that isn't just actions. Uh, that is also words. We have to speak about it. We have to share it with our words. We can't just do it by our actions. Guys, we have to have both of those things working together uh, simultaneously. And, uh, and, and so one way Peter does this in this instance, one way the content is different, one way he starts to change the establishment one way he starts to rectify injustices is he addresses servants. And then next week, he's going to address wives. Guys, that seems, in, in our culture today, we, we can't understand that. Uh, but in their culture, servants and wives would never have been addressed like this. They would have never been addressed like this directly because they weren't real people. So they wouldn't have been addressed like this. So the fact that Peter is talking directly to them, like they have a choice in the matter, is, is, is subverting society and starting to change it through submission. He's, he's, he's starting to do this by just his language here, by just addressing them directly. Peter does this and Paul does this. He gives them full dignity and rights and responsibilities to choose for themselves. Another thing is, um, he talks about them choosing their own God. Guys, that didn't happen in that culture. If you were a servant of this master who worshiped that God, guess what? You worship that God. If you married this husband who worshiped that God, guess what? Yes, you worship that God. You did not have a choice. They have a choice. And then he says, he says here, you have a choice in how you subject yourself, servants. You have a choice in how you do that. And, and so you see here, Peter is empowering them that they wouldn't be overlooked. 
but also he's operating within this kind of overarching secular society um, to subvert segments of it through sacrificial living. He's, uh, he's, he's operating this overarching secular society to, to subvert segments of it by sacrificially living. His submission is leading to sacrifice. Peter doesn't really, I don't, I don't think Peter actually believes injustice is going to be eradicated until Jesus returns, like complete injustice. So he says, this is how you live in the midst of it. Because guess what? As Luke says, the kingdom of God is also in your midst. You're in the midst of injustice, but the kingdom of God, it's inside you. It's in the midst of you. And you get to live that out. And you get to change society by doing the small things that lead to bigger things. You get to do that. You get to choose a master who submitted himself to the point of sacrifice. And he says in verse 21, because that's what you've been called to. This next section is the most clear, explicitly uh, clear passage that links uh, Jesus to the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. There's no other passage like this in the New Testament. Although we, we read Isaiah 52 and 53 and we say, oh, wow, that's, um, that's clearly Jesus. Peter's the one who details all this out for us. You won't find this. You won't, you'll find little pieces of, of it here, little shimmers of it. I think in, I don't know, three or four other places in the New Testament. But this is where it happens. So, so Peter says here, you've been called to this because Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, our Savior, also suffered for you. So you can put up with sorrows and, and suffering unjustly because he did the same thing. Leaving you an example. That word for example in the Greek, uh, literally picture like, um, picture a stencil. Like if you were to lay, lay something on here and you were to, to write out the letters, right? A, a stencil of letters like, like kids would have, you know, A, B, C, uh, the alphabet. That's, that's what it is. So you're following in exactly where Jesus walked, exactly his footsteps. It's a stencil. He gave us a stencil to follow in the kingdom of God. Uh, and then verse 22, this is deception. Peter's talking about what deception looks like. He's talking about what, it, what that stencil looks like. He's talking about, uh, or he's going to paint this picture of discipleship, which is following Jesus for us. So the first thing, Christ did not commit sin. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither deceit found in his mouth. Whoa, how do we do that? Well, elsewhere, he says, be holy for I am holy. Be perfect as your, your father is, is perfect. Um, uh, so... So uh, Jesus committed no sin. So there's, there's uh, a reality there for us in the sacred. And there's a reality where, where we are already justified, where we are already sanctified. And so in your life, the question is what, is, what is your trajectory? Is it a lifestyle of sin or is it a lifestyle of sacred? Right? It's not about your individual sins, guys. We sin every single day. If you don't know that about Christians, still sin every single day. I just hope it's less and less because the trajectory of my life is towards 
being more and more like Jesus. So guys, don't get caught up if you follow Jesus. Don't get caught up in your individual sins so much. Just have a trajectory of a lifestyle that is going away from sin. And when you look back over months and years, you'll see where you've, uh, how far you've gone. So that's the first thing. Uh, Christ did not commit sin. So we can move forward in that, in his footsteps there. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to trusting himself to him who judges justly. He didn't retaliate. Christ did not retaliate. Jesus did not revile when he was reviled. He did not um, enact suffering when he, when he was suffering. He did not threaten when he was threatening. Guys, we can't even do that in the little things. How often when someone says something about you, you say, well, you do this. Jesus didn't do that. He just accepted it. And he didn't return it. Guys, those are marks of, of, of us following Jesus. It's do not repay evil for evil. Overcome evil with good. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Right? This is, this is us following following Jesus Christ did not retaliate number 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 four here um, and and I just want to say uh, I'm I'm indebted to Karen Jobes and her amazing commentary on first Peter so a lot of a lot of uh, things in these sermons are are because of her fantastic commentary on first Peter so um, uh, it, and, and these four things as well. I mean, you can see them through through the text here, and she does a great job of highlighting these. Uh, but Jesus didn't retaliate. Um, verse twenty four. He himself he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Guys, we get to follow in his footsteps with that. You don't. Not, I don't mean you you bear your own sins. Jesus did that. We get to come alongside people and point them to Jesus to a life of righteousness, right? We get to, we, we get to not um, uh, make sure they feel their sin, but to say, you know what? When you sin against me, I forgive you. We're multiplying grace. We're multiplying peace, right? That's how we do that. And then, and then the last thing here is uh, still in verse 24 by his wounds you've been healed. We bring healing. Guys, do those things and you'll bring healing to others. You bring healing to our society. These institutions that used to exist in the world in this way, uh, th- this one in particular, for the most part, it has been eradicated. Like it, it has now, it, we're humans, so new forms of slavery have, have come in, right? But for the most part, uh, we've seen this borne out. Like the reason we're the culture we are now is because of, of this, this ethic that's been lived out in the kingdom of God, through the kingdom of God. And then he ends in verse 25, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And he ends there with, with shepherd, because it's, it's like sheep following a shepherd. Like the shepherd walks in the front, the sheep follow in his footsteps, right? So you have a, a, an inclusio here as a literary term, but, but bookends. He starts with saying, hey, this is your example. This is your calling to follow in Christ's footsteps. He's your shepherd. He's your overseer. And that word overseer, it sounds like 
kind of foreboding. It, it just means, uh, I think this would be a better translation, um, that he's our guardian, that he cares for us, that he keeps and cares for our souls, because that is our mandate to this world. As you live out in the kingdom of God, as we do that as a church, we are caring for our society. We're not condemning them. We're caring for them, right? We're not canceling them. It's compassion culture. We want to bring them along. We want to point them to the beauty of Jesus. And he submitted himself to the point of sacrifice. And so I'm inviting you to do that too. If you want to follow Jesus today, you have to submit yourself to the point of sacrifice. The servant is not greater than his master. And he did that for us. We do that for others. That's how we're going to change the world. That's how we're going to influence our city. Let's pray. Jesus, make us more like you, please. Show us where we are faltering, show us where we're failing, and push us forward into your example. Thank you that you don't condemn us, but you rescue us, you care for us, you love us, and, and you call us to move forward. So help us to do that as a church, as we engage through different areas in our city. Father, uh, may we live fully on your mission, sold out for you, following in your footsteps. And when we misstep, we trust you to bring us back to where you want us. And so do that for our church, do that for, for the leaders of the church, do that for uh, those in this church who are just trying to live on mission for you, God. Continue to show us and care for us in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.